Good morning. All right. Uh, I'm excited to be here. We want to say welcome. We are glad that you are here today. Um, how many of you would consider yourself a glass half full kind of person? Yeah, how many of you are kind of a glass half empty kind of person? Okay. Uh, for those of you that are glass half empty, maybe this is a good coffee mug for you. Um, this glass is now half empty. Uh, it's, how sad and depressing. Uh, I love this. It's from uh, despair.com. Um, or maybe all you moms, this is a, a better coffee mug for you. Um, shh, almost now you may speak to me. Um, maybe even just at work, that's the coffee mug that you need. Um, but uh, I think there are two kinds of people in the world, uh, people that are kind of glass half full and people that are glass half empty. Those of you that look at the world like glass half full, the world calls you an optimist. And when life hands you lemons, what do you make? Lemonade, yeah, yeah, excellent, good, good work. Um, and now, uh, for those of you who raise your hand as I'm kind of a glass half empty kind of person, when life hands you lemons, you squirt someone in the eye with that lemon, right? <laughs> Maybe that's who you are. Um, for those of you in that first group, again, you'd be called uh, optimists. Um, whereas the second group, what does life call you? Uh, actually, realists, I think, because uh, you're like, you know what? No matter what's in that cup, whether it's half full or half empty, uh, you know you need more coffee. Amen? Uh, so maybe that's where you are today. Is that it's like, you know what, I don't really care if the glass is half full or half empty. I'm going to have to get some more coffee before we go on. Uh, but the truth is, I think all of us have times where we can look at life and we're excited and we can think that, you know, good things are coming. Uh, glass is half full. And there's other times when we can look at life and think, man, <laughs> things are half empty. We can slip into discouragement, maybe even despair. Because the truth is, for each one of us, things don't always go the way we think they will, right? Things don't always go the way we think they will. You apply to a college, you don't get into the college of your dreams. You know, some hiccup comes. You know, your wife starts making you watch the TV show This Is Us because Pastor Eric has mentioned that he likes that TV show. Anyone out there? I know there's a couple out there. Uh, you know, maybe you're going through life, everything is great, and all of a sudden you get that pink slip at work and you find out, your job is being outsourced or you no longer have a job. Because one thing we can be sure of is that there are very, very few things that we can be sure of. So the question today is, what do we do when we're facing a crisis? What do we do when we're facing a crisis? What do we do when life just comes at us and we're not sure what to do? That's what we're going to be talking about today. We're kicking off this brand new series that I'm super pumped about. It's called Faith, Hope, Love, faith, hope, and love. And this is what 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says. So now, faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. So now, faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. And so we're going to spend the next three weeks looking at those three words, faith, hope, and love. And today, we're going to look at a story of a religious outsider an irreligious outsider who showed great faith and actually surprised Jesus, which is tough to do, with his faith. And then next week, we're going to look at a story where Jesus brings hope to a hopeless situation. 
And then it's going to culminate on Easter Sunday. We're going to look at the greatest love the world has ever known, Jesus, who came and he died for us. So I am super pumped uh, for this series as we kind of prepare our hearts for uh, Easter these next three weeks. It's going to be great. Uh, well, here at Mosaic, we love to go through books of the Bible, and this year we're working our way through the book of Luke. Last year we went through uh, the book of Genesis in our, most of our first year, and uh, right now we're working our way through the book of Luke. We find ourselves in chapter 7. And here's kind of what's been going on. is Jesus has been teaching, he's been preaching, he's been healing, he's been doing miracles, he's been reaching out to outsiders and inviting them in to come follow him, inviting them to come be a part of his family Uh, But now he's moved his base of operations from Nazareth, his hometown, and he's kind of moved to Capernaum, which is another small town uh, right on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus has just wrapped up what uh, we call his Sermon on the Plain. Maybe you've heard of the Sermon on the Mount, a little bit more uh, well-known, but the Sermon on the Plain, uh, where he's been teaching us, and that's what we we, uh, studied the last four weeks uh, his Sermon on the Plain, and we learned, you know, to, to uh, uh, you know, why it is that Jesus tells us to judge not. We learned to love our enemies, um, you know, that uh, Jesus cares about people, religion cares about rules. And so now Jesus has finished that discourse, and he's heading towards Capernaum, um, and we're going to see what happens. I love this story, um, but the important thing to know about this story And the heart of this story is not the miracle that Jesus is going to do. The heart of this story isn't the fact that Jesus heals someone. That's really just a vehicle that Luke is going to use, our author, to show us what's really important is the faith of this uh, outsider. Uh, So keep that in mind, is that this idea of putting our faith and trust in Jesus, that's the big idea this morning. And today, what I want us to see is that it's when our acts of faith intersect with God's faithfulness that our faith grows. It's when our acts of faith intersect with God's faithfulness that our faith grows. Uh, This morning, you can take some notes if you want uh, on your phone, fill in the blank note sheet, just a way to help you take just some information and let it help you have a life of transformation if you can hear it, uh, read it, write it down, discuss it. Uh, And so we're going to see this morning that when our acts of faith, what we do, when our acts of faith intersect with God's faithfulness, that is what causes our faith to grow. Uh, Well, if you're following along, we're going through uh, Luke chapter 7, and you can pull out your Bibles if you want. You can follow along. Uh, You can pull out your phone, read through on your Bible app. Uh, The scriptures will also be here behind me. Uh, Luke 7, verse 1 through 2. After he had finished all his sayings, as we just talked about the last month, his sermon on the plain, Jesus, in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. Well, first, the first thing I want to just kind of pause and help us understand is that sickness and suffering and death, they weren't a part of God's original plan of creation. God's original plan for us was to live in this perfect world in perfect harmony and fellowship with others and perfect fellowship with God. It's this idea of perfect peace with with those around us, perfect peace with the world, 
uh, nature and perfect peace with God. It's this idea in the Jewish uh, language called shalom. We don't really have an English word for it. It's, it, it's peace, it's, it's well-being, that everything is the way it's supposed to be. See, the way God originally created the world is that everything was good. We didn't need airbags in our car. We didn't need 911. We didn't need police and hospitals and an army. There was no sickness, no suffering, no death. Everything God made was very, very good. And that was the original plan of creation. But then our foreparents, Adam and Eve, they messed up and they sinned. And so now our world lives under the effects of the curse of sin. Now creation suffers under curse. And so we have sickness and we have suffering. We have death and we have to have locks on our doors and we have to have a police force. And what we're going to see today is there's a man who is suffering because of the effects of the curse of sin. And the Bible says that this man is near death. He's, he's a man in his final moments. Some of you maybe have sat by the bedside of someone who's suffering under sickness and is ready to die. That's what our author, Dr. Luke, tells us is the case with this servant. As a servant, he's very close to dying. See, the doctors, they've done everything they can. The family and friends for this servant, they've done everything they can. And there's really no hope. Their only hope is that God in his infinite mercy will step in and do some kind of miracle. And emotionally, I, I want us to go to that place with that, that, that servant who's suffering. You know, maybe there's someone that you know who is suffering and is in a place where, where they're just going through just tough stuff. Maybe they're near death, or maybe just life has, has dragged them down. So maybe like that centurion, you're here this morning, and you're like, you know what, life is pretty good for me. It's, 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 it's good man, I know someone, there's someone I love, there's someone I care about deeply, and they are suffering. And, and you're in anguish about that, and, it, and it's causing you turmoil because someone you love is suffering. Maybe this morning you walked in and you're more like that servant, where you have just knocked down, you're on the edge of giving up. Maybe you need a, a touch by Jesus this morning. Uh, maybe each one of us, we find ourselves more like the centurion, Life is good, but man, there's someone we know who's suffering. Or like the servant, we need something because we're going to die emotionally, physically, spiritually, apart from the touch of Jesus. So we meet the centurion, and he, and he, he loves, and he's befriended his servant, and he's burdened for him. Well, centurion means he, he, he's a, a a, um, a military commander for 100 soldiers, Century, centurion. He's a military leader. He's a guy's guy. He's a man's man. He's a fighter. Too often, I think we portray Jesus as very attractive to women and children. And he's, you know, the one that won't snuff out a burning candle, flickering candle. And he's got, you know, a lamb over his shoulders. And he's like, come to me. And he's kind of skipping and dancing. And he's always wearing a beauty pageant sash. I don't know why artists depict him that way. He's got the long flowing hair. And guys are kind of like, eh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not attractive to them. Because guys, a lot of us are interested in battle. Maybe that's, it's real battle. We have a few guys in our church who have served in our military, and that's awesome. Maybe you're interested in sports, which is kind of like a modified form of battle. Or business, which is basically financial battle. <laughs> See, men like conflict and combat and conquering, right guys? 
that's just who we are. And if any guy says differently, like, then you've never played a board game or, you know, sports with them. Like, we all have a little bit of competition in us. We like to conquer. Uh, But unfortunately, a lot of times Jesus isn't presented in a way that's very interested to guys. But here in the centurion, we see a man's man. He's a Roman soldier. He's a warrior. He's a guy who goes into battle. He leads other men. He would have been affluent, prominent, well-known. He's successful. And here's this guy's guy. Here's this warrior. He's a man's man. He does CrossFit, you know. And uh, he is drawn to Jesus. And I love that. See, Jesus isn't just for the people that are soft and weak and, and need, you know, comforting for women and children. Jesus is also attractive to men. And the way we should present Jesus as someone who is strong and powerful. We're going to get into that more. The centurion, he's drawn to Jesus. Verse 3, when the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly saying, he is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation. And he is the one who built us our synagogue. So the centurion, this Roman soldier, sends a message to Jesus. He says, I need you to heal my servant. I love him. I care about him. But he does so respectfully. He knows he's a Roman. He knows Jesus is a Jewish rabbi. And it would be disrespectful for him as a Gentile, as an outsider, to approach Jesus. So he comes to his friends, these religious Jewish elders, and says, hey, I've heard Jesus, he's, he's been doing some amazing things. He's been healing some people. Could you talk to Jesus for me and ask him if he could come and maybe pray for my servant? Could he possibly hear, heal him? Because we've tried everything. The doctors, there's nothing left to do. We have no hope. Jesus is our only hope. Can you please talk to Jesus? Could you please ask him to heal my friend? And here's what we learned about the centurion. This is a great guy. He's a great guy. Uh, what we can see is he probably hasn't converted yet to the Jewish faith, but he's someone who came from Rome and he's stationed as part of the occupying force of uh, Israel, but he's open to spiritual things. And some of you maybe this morning can relate to him. Uh, Maybe you're like, you know, I'm a pretty good person. I'm not quite ready to step over that line of faith and you know, commit my heart, my soul to Jesus, but I'm, I'm open to spiritual things, and I'm kind of like this centurion. It's like, yeah, I believe in God, but I'm, I'm just not quite ready to fully surrender. That was this man. Let's look at his character. First, uh, you can write this down. What do we see about the centurion? That he's loving. That's what the religious leaders say, that he loves us. He loves our nation. Do you know how loving that is? This guy loves religious people. No one loves religious people, right? Like, that's very loving that he loves these religious people. He also loves his servant. Servants back then didn't have legal rights. They couldn't sue you. They couldn't take you to court and say, hey, I need better benefits or whatever. They're basically treated like animals or cattle, uh, property. But here's a guy who actually loves his servant. He cares about his well-being, He's actually going to go you know, above and beyond the call of duty to try to do everything he can to reach out to Jesus to try to save his servant. It's a very loving man. Second, we see that he's very, very generous. He's very generous. We learn that he funded the building of their synagogue, which is basically the old covenant uh, equivalent of their church building. He funded it. He built them their church building. That's amazing. That's amazingly generous. That's like someone who 
would come into Mosaic, maybe from another country who's doing here for business, is like, hey, I love what you guys are doing. Let me buy you land and build you a building. Be like, dude, you are generous. Like, that is awesome. He's a generous man. We also see that he's very considerate. He's considerate. Uh, Verse 6, and Jesus went with them, the Jewish elders. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. So Jesus, he's like, yeah, I'm going to go. He heads out with these Jewish elders. And while he's on his way, the centurion sends some more servants and says, hey, hey, I understand. You are a busy guy. You got a lot going on, Jesus. Just say the word, and I know you can heal you know, my servant. He's like, you know, uh, I'm unworthy to have you come into my house. Now, how many of you, and I'm, this is me, right? If Jesus is like, all right, I'm coming to your house. I'm going to pray for someone. I'd be like, yes, I'm going to get a selfie with Jesus, you know, post it on Instagram and Facebook, right? That's kind of what we'd be thinking. But this guy's like, no, 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 Jesus, I'm very considerate. Like, you know, I don't, you don't need you to come into my house. I'm unworthy to have you here. This guy is humble. He's humble. You know, he says, you know what? I don't need to waste Jesus' time. Jesus is very important. He's got a lot of things to do. He's like, yeah, I'm an affluent, important person. I'm powerful. I'm a strong man. But you know what? I don't deserve to have him come. He's very, very humble. So here's a good, moral, spiritual guy who is loving. He's generous. He's considerate. He's humble. The centurion, he's a great man. Verse 7. He says, therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I, too, am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turned to the crowd that followed him and said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. This man, he gets authority, he understands, he says, Jesus, I believe. You don't even need to come into my house. I trust you. I believe in you. I'm putting my hope and trust in you, that you can heal and save my servant. And I believe that at this moment, the centurion who has recently heard about Jesus, he's putting his faith and trust in Jesus. See, here's the thing. The centurion, he's a, he's a good moral man. He's loving. He's generous. He's considerate. He's humble. Maybe today again you'd say, yeah, that kind of describes me. Maybe not the humble part, but the rest of it, you know. But still, still the centurion needs Jesus. He still needs Jesus in spite of being moral and loving and generous, all these things. He still needs to put his faith and trust in Jesus. See, this is the turning point in the centurion's life. Luke tells us the man had just heard about Jesus, and now he's putting his faith and his trust in Jesus. And we're told that Jesus looks around and is amazed by this man's faith. Jesus is hardly ever surprised. There's like two times in the Gospels that says that Jesus was surprised, and this is one of them. Jesus is usually the one surprising people. And the reason that he's surprised is the sheer quality of this man's faith. See, despite being a pagan Roman soldier who's part of an occupying force there in Israel, and despite of his appropriate lack of, you know, religious background, the right family and all that stuff, he's been living among these Jewish people, and he has grasped the center of the Jewish faith, that the one true God, not the gods of Rome, the one true God 
The God of Israel was the sovereign one, the maker of heaven and earth. And now he transitions from just understanding the one true God of Israel to understand it in its shocking new form. This one true God was now personally present and active in the man, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And he puts his faith and his trust in Jesus. That's amazing. Here, Mosaic, our heart is to reach men like the centurion. We want good, moral guys who are interested in conquering and fighting to say, you know what? You too need Jesus. You're a good person, but you need Jesus. And Jesus isn't just some weak, you know, person with a, with a sheep over his shoulders. Jesus is attractive. He should be attractive to men. See, we want to get the word out that Christ is a warrior as well. See, Jesus comes to battle sin and Satan and death. And the Bible says that when Jesus comes back again, he's going to be riding a white horse with a tattoo on his leg and a sword coming out of his mouth. And he's going to set all the captives free once and for all. See, ours isn't a faith of violence, but a faith of forgiveness. But when Jesus comes, he's going to put down all the bullies. He's going to put down all the dictators and tyrants. He's going to set the captives free. He's going to wipe away every tear. And so every soldier who goes into battle, every police officer, every firefighter, who puts their life on the line, is operating in the image of Christ. To say, I'm going to possibly lay down my life so that others may live. That's our Jesus. That's the Jesus we want people to know. We want to help people meet that Jesus. See, even if you're a good, moral, decent person, you need to come to Jesus. You need to put your faith and trust in him. But just being a good citizen is not going to earn you forgiveness and salvation with God. You still need to place your faith in Jesus. That's understanding who Jesus is. Well, there's three things I think we learned about Jesus from Luke 7. Let's go through those real quick. Number one, Jesus is the ultimate healer. Jesus is the ultimate healer. Jesus heals the servant physically. And he also heals the centurion spiritually. Jesus heals mind, body, soul, and spirit. Jesus heals the whole person. And in this life, even though we are going to die someday, because of Jesus, he'll be our resurrection if our faith is in him. And we too will someday enjoy perfect eternal healing. Jesus is our ultimate healer. Whatever it is you're going through, you can put your faith and trust in Jesus as our ultimate healer. Number two, Jesus is the better servant. Jesus is the better servant. See, the centurion loved his servant because he was a humble, faithful, dependable servant. The Bible tells us that Jesus is our suffering servant. Jesus serves better than any other servant. He goes all the way to the cross, and he suffers in service to us. That's amazing. So here's what happens, friends, is that when we suffer, we can go to Jesus who has suffered. He serves us as we're suffering. Jesus serves us as we're suffering because we have a God who has suffered. And even when we die, Jesus 
still serves us because he's been through death and he meets us on the other side and he wipes away every tear and gives us a resurrection kingdom life where death and sin are no more because of his victory. Jesus is the better servant who serves us. He has suffered and because of that, as we are suffering, he can serve us. He's been there. Whatever it is you're facing, he's been there too. And even when we suffer and die, he has faced death and he serves us on the other side. Number three, Jesus is the greater warrior. Jesus is the greater warrior. He's the greater centurion. See, the centurion's job was to go into battle and if necessary, lay down his life so others could be blessed. Jesus is the greater centurion. He's God come into human history. He didn't just risk his life for us like a good soldier, but he actually gave his life for us. He is God at war against Satan and sin and death. And as the centurion loves and cares about his one servant, Jesus, our greater warrior, our greater centurion, cares about each one of us. I want you to see the Roman centurion with scars, battle scars on his hand, on his face. He's battle-tested. He's a captain of soldiers. He's strong. He's tough. He gives orders and young men are willing to die. And he looks at Jesus and says, you know what? You're my captain. You're in charge. You're a greater warrior than I. That's our Jesus. That's the Jesus we want to invite people to follow. And this morning, if you have always you know, been a guy's guy and man's man and you've struggled to bow the knee to Jesus, I want to encourage you to bow the knee to our God, to Jesus, who's a greater warrior, who fights for us, who battles for us. The question is, how do we grow our faith? to have a faith like the Roman centurion. Jesus was amazed by the faith of the Roman centurion, so how do we grow our faith? See, it's when our acts of faith intersect with God's faithfulness that our faith grows. There are certain things that we can do to build our faith muscles. It's these acts of faith that we can do. And when they intersect with what we do, with God's faithfulness, and we know that God is faithful, that our faith then will grow. It's when our acts of faith intersect with God's faithfulness that our faith will grow. Uh, there's a church down in Atlanta called North Point Community Church. And uh, one of the things I love that they did is after listening to thousands of people share their faith journey, their testimony, they spent a lot of time thinking through what are the common elements that we see in people's stories. And uh, they came up with five things that I, I want to share with you because I think they're great. Um, uh, it's a great list. And they said, you know what? We, we think that as we've, we've talked to people and seen their faith grow, a lot of them have these same common threads to their story. Now, uh, because it's led by a baby boomer, everything starts with the same letter. Uh, and so uh, don't let that hang you up and be like, this is too cheesy. But it really is good stuff. And so uh, I want to share this with you. And I think these are some great acts of faith. These are things that God uses to grow our faith. Number one, uh, God uses practical teaching. God uses practical teaching. Uh, you see that over and over again, that maybe someone has attended church for a long time, and it's like, yeah, you know, we, we learned, but nothing ever applied to my life. And so here at Mosaic, we like to say, we don't want to say it on Sunday if you can't apply it to your life on Monday. We want to give you some practical handholds, uh, some practical teaching to help grow your faith. That's number one. That's kind of out of your control. That's all on me. <laughs> number two, providential relationships. This is on you. Providential relationships. What does that mean, providential? I know, it's a weird word. Uh, get past that. Uh, basically, that means have people in your life that God can use to help stretch you, to grow you. I think one of the best ways to do this is in the context of small groups where you're doing life together, but there are other ways. But have relationships in your life 
that providentially God can use to stretch you, to grow you. When you're going through tough times, they're there for you. It's an important part of, of, of your faith journey. Number three, private disciplines. Number three, private disciplines. Again, this is all on each one of us individually. This is when we have to do the work of reading our Bibles, of praying, of journaling. If you're not a reader, what's amazing is technology, uh, you can listen to God's word through your Bible app as someone narrates it to you. Just let God's word wash over you. But private disciplines are so important for us to grow our faith. If you only, uh, you know, eat spiritually on Sunday mornings, like that's not going to do you uh, enough. Uh, it's not enough to just have practical teaching. It's not enough to just discuss things in small groups. You've got to have time throughout your week where you're working on these private disciplines, you know, fasting, solitude, uh, different ones. That, that's going to be the tools that God's going to help stretch your faith and grow your faith. Number four, personal ministry. Personal ministry. I would like to say around here, serving others. That's a practical way on a Sunday morning, being with the little kids, showing up, set up chairs, going on a mission trip to serve people. Uh, you know, find a way that God can use your personality, your unique gifts and talents to make a difference in other people's life. Uh, over and over again, you see in people's face stories that when they, they took that step of faith to use their personal ministry to impact others, that all of a sudden their faith took this giant leap forward, and God used that to grow their faith. Uh, the last one, uh, so the, the middle three are kind of on us, our personal responsibility. First and fifth aren't as much. But the fifth one is pivotal circumstances. Pivotal circumstances. What does that mean? Basically it means that life doesn't always happen the way you think it will. Oh, there's something that's going to happen. Job change unexpected. You know, an illness. Um, your close friends move away. But God will use those pivotal circumstances, and it's to be aware of that. And when all of a sudden kind of your world gets shifted and things are changing, to say, okay, God, how do you want to use this to grow my faith? How do I want to use these pivotal circumstances in my life to grow my faith? Well, as we wrap up this morning, I want you to know that Jesus can and does answer prayer. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray. I'm going to have the band to come on up. We're going to take a little bit of time and we're going to pray for each other. See, some of you, you're here today and you're in the position of the servant. You're suffering. You're going through some stuff and you need some people to be prayed for. Maybe you came in lonely. Some of you are like the centurion. Your life is going pretty well. But there's someone you know, there's someone you love who's in a difficult place. And you need to intercede and pray for them. And just like the centurion went and got the elders... In the same way, maybe you need, you know, to ask some elders here, some spiritual leaders to pray for you, maybe to pray for the person that you know who's going through a tough time. Maybe God wants to grow your faith and, and he's working on your heart. And, and uh, in, in a minute, we're going to have a, a response time and maybe you're going to get out of your seat and you're going to pray for someone that you know is going through a tough time. Finally, I want us to contrast the way the centurion comes to Jesus with the way that so many of us come. So many of us, when we, we pray, you know, we'll be like, you know, Jesus, um, you know, if maybe you have time and if you could think about it, you know, maybe, possibly, if you could answer this prayer and, you know, uh, you know maybe heal my friend, you know, if, if you want, and I'm not sure, and uh, okay, amen. And we kind of walk away like, wait, did I even ask? I'm not even sure. Contrast with the way the centurion says, I need you to heal my friends. Now, when we ask boldly, 
God can and does say no. And that's his right as God. But I believe the example of the faith of the centurion says we need to come boldly to Jesus, to lay our requests to him. Say, Jesus, here's what I need. Please do this for me. He may answer yes. He may answer no. But let's come boldly with a faith like the centurion that Jesus loves us, that Jesus is our suffering servant who wants to serve us, that he's our warrior who battles sin and Satan and death. And ultimately, Jesus is our healer, whatever it is that we are going through. And when we come with our faith and our acts of faith intersect with God's faithfulness, it's going to grow our faith. Uh, We're going to spend the next five minutes uh, in just a response time. And what we're going to do is we're going to have communion. This is a little different than we normally do communion. The band's going to play a worship song. And uh, during this song, at any point, we want to encourage you to get up out of your chairs and you can come forward and you can receive communion. Communion is our tangible way to remind yourself that Jesus came, he suffered for us, he died on the cross for our sins, and then he rose again. And, and we, we take the bread and we'll dip it in the cup as a, as a way to remind ourselves of that. Uh, we have gluten-free communion in the middle. Uh, one of the things I love about communion is it reminds us that we are not journeying uh, with Jesus and our faith journey alone, but we are part of a community. Uh, and uh, that's why uh, here at Mosaic, we bake one loaf of bread and we all eat from one loaf. We are one body. We are one church. We are one community. You aren't going through life alone. And one of the reasons I don't like passing communion is it reminds us of our individuality, but instead saying, nope, there's one table. We're going to come and we're going to receive communion to remind ourselves that we're part of a greater community of faith. We're also going to have our prayer team in the back, and uh, you can just find someone with a lanyard who, or who's just standing there looking like they want to pray for you. And uh, again, maybe you're in the situation of that servant and you need someone to pray for you. It's okay. So take that step of faith. In the same way that Centurion took a step towards Jesus, take that step of faith. Maybe you need to act like the centurion and there's someone you know and you need to bring their request to Jesus. The servant was too sick to get out of bed. He couldn't do anything on his own. He needed his friend to go to Jesus on his behalf. And maybe that's what God's calling you to do is to go to Jesus on on your friend's behalf and say, hey, would you pray with me about my friend? Uh, This song the band's going to play is a new song. It just says, come to the altar. In the Old Testament, we'd come to the altar to give our sacrifice so that we could be made right with God. But through Jesus now, we have been made right once and for all through his sacrifice. But there's a still idea that we can, there's something about tangibly, tangibly getting out of our chairs, taking a step of faith to come to the altar. So I want to I invite you, come to the altar, receive communion, get out of your chair, have someone pray with you. I'm going to pray, the band's going to play, and then uh, whenever you would like, you can get up, You can receive communion. You can ask for prayer. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are good, that you love us, that you are our ultimate healer spiritually, physically, mentally, whatever it is we're going through. We believe that you have the power and ability to heal in the way that you healed this servant. 
Jesus, you are our servant who suffered for us because you love us and because of that, you know what we're going through. We aren't alone in our suffering. And Jesus, you are our true and better warrior who fights for us against injustice and sin and death and suffering. So Jesus, we ask now that we would come to you. We would remember what you've done for us and what your love means through communion. God, that we would take a step of faith to ask someone to pray for us or that we would bring someone's needs to you. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. Let's stand and we'll sing and then anytime during this song you can receive communion.